never go near the gate or fence in the back of the forest, because it's dangerous. That is the warning the orphans of the Grace Fields house have been given. But what really lies beyond the gate? Three of these orphans, Emma, Ray, and Norman, discover the truth about their innocent little world, and now must bear the burden of that truth. How do Catholics bear the light of truth in a world that is so often filled with darkness? How can we find hope when all seems so hopeless? Today, we enter the world of the promised Neverland. This is Truly Universal. podcast where we discuss all things Catholic in another universe. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're you're not sure what you thought of the Hugh Jackman special, but <laughs> just just listen That's to fire. the song of the greatest showman stuck in your head. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it was here right in front of you. This is where you ought to be. Anyways, welcome to our Truly Universal Podcast. We're going to discuss today uh anime that came out on Netflix recently. It's making its second run after a really good first season last year that aired on Funimation and Toonami. And it's a very great anime that has a lot of great suspense and thrill and wonder in it. We're talking about The Promised Neverland. I remember when we were watching it for the first time, it's like, oh, this is going to be a cool anime. And then you realize, this is this is terrible. Yeah, I think normally this is the part of the podcast where we give you a, like a general synopsis of the show. But I feel like, honestly, what, one of the greatest experiences I feel like I had when I was first being introduced to The Promise of Neverland is when it first came out, uh, there were so many reaction videos that were going viral on YouTube of sending somebody who's never seen it, like sending your friend, sending some popular YouTuber, have them watch the first episode and react to it. And then everybody's like, the general kind of like uh, reaction people had. Well, okay. If, first of all, if you've never seen the show, uh, maybe stop this now. Yeah. And pause. Then, pause your maybe podcast. Maybe go watch it yourself. Maybe watch the first episode and then... Then come back. Or go watch some reaction videos after you watch the first episode. Maybe that'll get you motivated to watch the rest, but you can make your judgment after the first episode. But to those who are familiar with Promise Neverland, uh, people's reactions generally were like, oh, wow, like you're watching maybe like the first 20 minutes. So like, oh, this is cute. But so nice uh, orphan children playing in a playground, you know, having a good time. And then suddenly, like, you know, things are starting to get darker and you're like, then you you reach maybe like the 20 minute mark and people are just like, no, 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 you're tricking me. This is not, this is not a happy show. <laughs> this is, this is a setup. <laughs> this is not what you're intending me for, for me to watch. Something, something bad's going to happen. Something absolutely terrible is going to happen. And you know, well, something terrible does. It, it's pretty much 2020. In a in an anime, we're coming in like new decade, twenty twenty. It's great, that's awesome. And then things just take a turn for the worse. So I apologize to uh, our viewers who probably saw the title, 
and they're like, "Oh man, they're gonna do Peter Pan." I love Peter Pan. I'm, I, I, I love children. I love the Lost Boys. I love youthfulness. Yes, Promise Neverland has that. It definitely has that. <laughs> or you but, think it's something related to Michael Jackson, or it's like, oh, you're you're just enter- entering into the world, yeah, full of wonder. It's great. Yes. And, and you know, yes. before we go, again, we're giving you lots of time to pause and, and watch it, you know, viewers. But before we get into it, you know, I just, I'm really enjoying that we're finally doing this episode. Because there's like when, uh, uh, by the way, it's Mark, Matt, and me on this podcast, the three of us. And when we came up with the idea for uh, Truly Universal, there was like these mainstay ideas like we just held on to. Like we had to do it. Like, no matter what, we're going to do it. No matter how niche it is, no matter how weird it is, we, we need to cover it. And then uh, Wegu World, Promised Neverland was on our, our list for, like, the longest time. And I'm, I'm glad, like, 22 episodes in, we're finally doing it. We're finally doing it. Once again, spoilers from here on out. Just like The Good Place, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. So, anybody want to summarize what our plot is for this wonderful show? Filled with orphan children. I presume that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking at Matt. On, I'm looking like, at other Matt, you episodes. Got this. I, I, I usually prepare for this sort of thing, but this this time I'm not as prepared. I just, I just rewatched it recently with my brother, so I'm just going in off the top. But uh, Promise Neverland is an anime. I think the reason why we're doing it is because uh, I think my brother mentioned a little bit, but like the season two of uh, Promise Neverland, I think is coming out. When is it coming out? Like this month. Or next month? I don't know. Pandemic yeah. tide confuses everything. But, I think January. Uh, it's an ongoing anime series, but like I think what's really interesting about it is like the first season is so compelling that it feels like its own contained story. So uh, we may have more uh, Promise Neverland episodes in the future. Who knows? But uh, I think the general idea of Promise Neverland is uh, it's an anime where basically uh, you're introduced to uh, an orphanage. An orphanage where uh, our three main characters, uh, Emma, Norman, and Ray, they all live in this orphanage with their siblings, who are all children under the age of 12. So from 12 to whatever, young age, toddler age, whatever. And basically, this is an orphanage where they've lived all their life. And uh, basically, um, children from any age uh are adopted but um if they grow to the age of 12 then they are absolutely adopted like there's no children over the age of 12 12 or 11 i manufacturing on that i think, I think 12 but yeah basically yeah so like it's it's an orphanage for children under the age of 12 and um one of the things that they do there is they kind of live their lives uh they're educated by there's one person who takes care of this orphanage this is her name is isabella she is the house mom of the orphanage and she takes care of all like Dozens and dozens of children all by herself. And basically, like, she educates them, she feeds them, she gives them a place to stay, and she basically raises them until the age of 12. And uh, so one of the things that they, they are told as children is that they should never, they are on this enclosed area. There's a single house and there's uh, grass and it's surrounded by a fence and a gate. And they, one of the things that their their mother, Isabella, tells them not to do is that they should never go beyond the gate. And one day while they're playing hide and seek, playing tag, they go over to where the edge, the border of the uh, estate is. And they basically like talk about how, oh, we're never supposed to like leave this part. But like they talk about it makes them think like, oh, like 
someday each of them is going to leave. In fact, uh, when the story starts, uh, there's a child named Connie who is six years old and she is scheduled to be adopted that day. And they talk about how uh, someday all of them is, are going to have to leave the orphanage and see what the world is like on the outside. And so they begin to wonder and start of in their conversations, they notice that, oh, like, why haven't we ever heard from any of our siblings who have been adopted? Because it's like, oh, like, they've grown up together. They've spent 12 years of their lives, virtually, of their lives together. And they've genuinely become a family. Like, they genuinely consider each other siblings, in spite of the fact that they are not blood. But because they have all been raised in this childhood together. And so... As they kind of live their lives, they start to wonder why have they not received any phone calls, any letters, any sort of contact from the outside world after being adopted. So uh, the girl, Connie, uh, gets adopted. There's this huge thing where everybody gets sad and everybody says that they will miss her. And then she leaves. Then our, our main characters, two of our main characters, uh, Emma and Norman, realize that she leaves her stuffed bunny behind in the uh, orphanage and decide to go follow uh, the the truck that is to pick her up and take her to her, her new foster family or adoptive family, sorry. Uh, and to see, like, see, try and catch her before she leaves so they can yeah, return the step bunny to her. Such and good so intentions. They, and then they follow her and they, they end up in this uh, this dark cave where the, the plot twist is that they f- go and find her and they find her her dead body, her find her dead corpse in the back of the truck. And they're shocked to see that the Connie that they had just said bye to is dead. And so they hide as they hear voices. They hear, so, they hear some like strange sounds and they see these very grotesque creatures. They call them demons. They do not call them themselves demons, but they see these monstrous creatures who basically uh, give them the insult that these children are being raised for food for these monsters. And basically they are living this existence where they're being raised to the age of 12 and being sold as like, as food, as like meat, basically (laughs) to these monsters. Yeah. The worst part is they go and try to find Mama Isabella and then demons are talking to her saying, uh, asking her when the next shipments are. And they realize she's in on it too. Yes. Yeah. So Heartbreaking. That their mother, the mother who they've called mom, called mommy growing up, she is the one who is basically giving their bodies over to these monsters. And so the, the rest of the series, they, they come to terms with this, this tragic, fearful reality that they have stumbled upon. And the, the rest of this, the, the season, I shouldn't say series because there's more story that we have. We're just covering season one. But like they, they are basically trying to figure out how they can survive in the orphanage and also how to escape the orphanage and escape the, the plans of their, their mother quotations. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like, I like how we were like, Hey viewers, pause, l- watch the show. And then we proceed to give them a nice summary. So we we're like, <laughs> yes. even if you didn't watch it, we're still watching out for you. you we gave you the summary. You won't be you surprised. Have been warned. You've been warned. <laughs> and that's just watch it now. So, yeah, you could still watch it. Even, yeah, there's much but... more. There's much more to it. Yeah, as, as Matt said, you know, that when I first watched Promised Neverland, I remember, like, you, Mark, were, like, super into it. You're like, guys, we need to watch this. We need to watch this. I'm like, 
And my background is I'm not really into a lot of animes. I mean, traditionally growing up, I went, you know, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon. Um, a little bit later, was into Bleach. Uh, you know, I never finished it. Those so like a lot of the mainstream ones, kind of Naruto. I just think I got, uh, was discouraged by how many episodes there were. And so I stopped after like the first Oh, season. wait till you try, try One Piece. <laughs> yeah, One Piece too is on there. So, you know, I wasn't really into a lot of animes. So, uh, oh, I watched Attack on Titan. So I, I do kind of was familiar with the dark genre um, that, that I kind of like. So when Mark was like, hey, let's watch Promise Neverland, I'm like, sure. You know, it looks great. And like, I remember like he just had this smile when he would describe Promise Neverland. Like, like yeah, it's beautiful. We should watch it. And I'm like, okay, Mark, I, I know something's wrong here. So I, I watch it and you get lulled into just the, the idyllic pastures, the, the joy of the children, the innocence. As Matt's saying, you know, with, with that great description, I was watching it and I was like, man, this is so good. Like, I, I, I just feel so refreshed. Like, these are smart kids. Like, even when they play, like, games and tag, they're, like, super smart. It's, like, a little bit of Naruto, like, in it. Like, where they're, like, agile and, and smart and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, this is great. And then the plot twist happens, and I'm like, oh, man. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is not this is not what I signed up for. Um, and it just, uh, and the rest of the show is, is amazing. It's great. You know, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I can't wait for season two. I think I looked it up season two is coming out in April of 2021 on Funimation. So that oh, the English dub is there. So, but season one on Netflix right now. Yes. I remember finding out about it on Toonami. It's like, um, what was it? it? It came on after, like, what was it? We were watching My Hero Academia at the time. Tsunami, yes. um, and we re um it, we kept I kept seeing the ads for it. It's like, oh, this looks cool. And it's like, why do you keep repeating the same clips over and over for the ads? Like, I'm kind of getting sick of it already. It's like, okay, we'll just find out. Yeah, and then most other shows kind of had like a variety of ads that they showed, like different big scenes from to kind of get you enticed into watching. But Promise Neverland always showed like these first two scenes. One of them is just like saying goodbye to Connie, and it's just like, "Bye, I'll miss you." And it's just like, <laughs> I don't want to leave. I just want to stay right here. And uh, another one is just like, "Oh, like uh, I think it was just like one of the other ones was just like to not." Mom always told us not to go behind the gate, and then oh, that yeah. was it. Like those that's are the right, only two, right. <laughs> but it doesn't tell us you anything about the show, and we're just like, it's so vague about what, like, but what makes it you want to watch it? <laughs> it's yes. just you want to know what. Let's go down. But continue. Yeah. yeah, and then when then you started seeing so many strange things, like why are these kids taking so many tests? Why did the tests even matter? Why um you see them like going through like over and over again, like doing all these like rapid fire tests, like an IQ or something. Like it, it gave me like horror stories, like all the like exact like exams I would take in like high school. It's like oh no, this is like this times like a thousand, but you think, oh, this is supposed to help these orphans to like, like excel in the world outside because they've been like so disadvantaged of not being raised in like a normal family. It's like, oh, this is perfect for them. And then you, when night falls, everything starts getting a little bit more creepy and the tone kind of shifts. You see Connie dressed up, getting ready to leave in like all black clothes. Like what's going on? Yep. Yep. And. Yep. Oh man, when when I saw Connie's dead body in the truck, it's like, oh, oh man, this is this is way too real. 
You tricked me. You lied, Joe. You lied to me. That's how a lot of these are reaction videos go. Yeah. And you know, you know, dark themes like this is not new to anime. Like I know we talked you guys talked about full metal um full metal alchemist. You know, kill me, alright, like stuff like that. Like, <laughs> is not new, but I think what it was, what uh, I really enjoyed about Promise Neverland is just the shift in tone. Like you said, Mark, it starts off really like the music's really good, the dialogue's fun. Um, I, you know, I watched the dubs. You know, I didn't watch the subs, um, and you know, even the dub acting was was really good, spot on. Um, and so, yeah, that that shift in tone is is so good. But uh, I also like with with Promise Neverland the the themes that go on because you know we described it right now and you're probably listening to this and you're like this sounds like a terrible anime like why would i watch this like these children who are powerless helpless in this situation how do they escape and i think the 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 hope is that the the main protagonists uh norman emma and ray are like the smartest of the bunch and so you find hope in their their abilities their intellect and it becomes a game of cat and mouse a game of like chess like of strategy and like uh, of political intrigue, if you will, kind of like House of Cards, where it's like, uh, Matt put it this way, it's like you see the characters where, you know, like Norman and Ray and Emma, they know that the mother knows that they know that, the, that yeah, that things are going on. So you try to see them lie to each other. You try to see them put up a facade. They try to outsmart each other with their knowledge. And it, it becomes you're rooting for the underdog. You're rooting for these children who are, set to be slaughtered uh, as cattle, if you will, for these, you know, quote unquote demons. And they're trying to outsmart them and, and get out of this hopeless situation, despite, you know, how dire it feels like. And you just watch this whole series, like, and it goes ups and downs. So you're like, oh, man, they're finally going to break through. They're finally going to outwit, you know, the, the mother, Isabella. They're finally going to be free. And then, bam, you know, it's a setback. And bam, it's another setback. And like, oh my god, she really did that to her leg? Spoilers. You know, there's uh, <laughs> there's some great moments where it's like, oh, wow. So, I, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's good. It's a good series. I think uh, I described this to my brother. Uh, I, uh, I watch a lot of, like, anime, but I feel like, I, not to the extent that I watch everything, I watch a lot of things that are mainstream. But I think the description I gave to my brother when it came to like the first episode of Promise Neverland, which we're still talking about, that's how impactful it is. But like, uh, I always talk to my brother when I'm trying to get into a new show. I have sort of like the benchmark I, I call is, I call it the, uh, the death note, like litmus test. Like okay. there's the anime uh, Death Note, which has this really kind of well, maybe we'll maybe do like a future episode on it. But like the short of it is like Death Note has this really intense kind of huge kind of plot driven first episode that gets you hooked instantly because it's so compelling for just if this is the only episode you watch then it's incredibly compelling that it makes you want to watch more and i think for a lot of shows even outside of anime that's kind of where i kind of stand where i'm just like okay if this show isn't compelling enough to attract my attention in one episode then maybe it's not worth my time yeah yeah but but like this, this is definitely an example where like when I watched the first episode, it was like, wow, like I genuinely want to see where it goes and I want to see what this cognitive battle really looks like. Yeah. And I think it kind of felt like to your point about the whole death note test, it kind of ended up filling the void for me because I remember we would rewatch death note like so many different times just because we couldn't find like but like another, a, another like, show quite like it. Yeah, another show like whether Western or like like Eastern where it had the kind of like intrigue and like 
um, battle of wits where you're constantly trying to figure out, like, oh, how did all these moves that the, the characters did uh, was able to accomplish the goal that happened in the end? And kind of like getting into all the different mind games everyone was going through and also just the manipulation of everyone's emotions trying to claw their way into there and just also seeing uh like the brokenness of these characters come out like where you you really see like like light's descent into madness and death note or you see um you see just like Isabella and Crona and like how they were once children in this system and they end up becoming the oppressors sending these children off to the demons to be food and just like how did we get here to this point? Yeah. <laughs> I think another thing worth noting in, in that quote-unquote death note test that I uh, described is death note is a show that I recommend to people who if they don't typically like anime which I have nothing against if you don't because it's not for everyone but it like a part of that test is like I think Death Note had such a compelling story I recommend it to people who've never seen anime because I think the story is so good like I feel like the medium of which the story is told shouldn't be a detriment to how good the story is and that's something I also feel for Promise Neverland I feel like the story is so good I would recommend it to anyone whether they're an anime or fan or not so yeah yeah, because it has, again, themes that transcend any genre, really. Um, you know, I feel like talking about Mother Isabella, like what's a mark for me, a mark of a good uh, show or anime or series is like, what's the character development like? Like, are you growing to like or dislike characters? Are they dynamic? And like, like you said right there, like when you the bad guy from the first the, or the antagonist for the first few episodes is, you know, or throughout the series is Isabella, the mother who's willingly complicit in this horrific system of, you know, sacrificing children for for food. And you're like, you hate this woman. Like, deep down, like, she's two-faced. You hate her. And then they slowly reveal the backstory of, like, she was a child, too. And at the age 12, women get a choice. They can either become food or they can become a mother that's complicit in this horrible, horrible system. And it's heartbreaking. It's like, wow, like, there is there is there is hopelessness and there's like no hope out of this so even more so you're rooting for these children to break the system um and i think that's another fun theme is that when you see people try to break a status quo which is these children who you don't expect them to and they come in and they want to challenge it by by just escaping it's like wow you know that gives us hope like in our current day like you know what we can overcome too you know we can overcome these things um, I'd I'd probably end up being one of the children get let, left behind. Like I would not be, I would not be useful in the escape at all. I'd be like staying with Phil and be like, Mom, what happened? Like, you know, what's going on? Yeah, but it's good. It's good. All right. So, and um, jumping off of that, what were some of everyone's favorite characters during the series? I think for. Like I think for me, one of my favorite characters would have to be um, Ray. 
or how Mother's Basement would call Discount Sasuke. <laughs> Discount Sasuke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, whoa. don't hate on Ray because Ray has way more character development than Sasuke. <laughs> whoa. Dang. Shots fired to the Naruto. Dude, our Naruto listeners are probably like, oh, heck no. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they're going to rage and want us to do a Naruto episode. Sorry, that's soon. for another podcast, but I, I, I have. I, I hate Sasuke with a passion. <laughs> oh, shoot. Stop. Hot takes. <laughs> Hot takes. Like, and people just stop listening right now. Yep. <laughs> and they yeah. boycott Truly Universal. <laughs> yes. But go on. But yeah, I mean, you, you have Ray, who's one of the smartest kids there. He ends up having the most, like, a wit out of all of them. But you see his, like, glaring weakness where... He ends up like giving up too e- easily, so he ends up just giving in to a lot of the stuff that's going on. Like he ends up knowing about the whole system way before anyone else. Like even outside, like way before early in the timeline of the story, he he says he he, he like ever since he was a baby, he knew he kind of figured out that there was something off about what was going on. You find uh, you 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 find out that he is like a double agent for for Isabella, which makes you really mad that <laughs> she's. You think he's gonna sell out the um, Norman Emma to to and they're gonna get shipped out the next day, and then you see him like slowly trying to weave his way through, um, trying to get get away to make a better life. But you also see him like he's not too sure of himself. Like, he gets the parts for trying to break the trackers. But at the same time, he doesn't think that we could, they could bust out everybody there. And then even with all the plans there, he ends up wanting, uh, wanting to escape. But he doesn't think all of us could make it. So might as well just light himself on fire with gasoline and hope Might as everyone well. else escapes. There are like five billion like plot twists you were yeah. in just Ray's character. That's so funny. In that, like one minute. <laughs> yeah. He's a character, man. Right. I, yeah. I like Ray. It's, uh, you know, there's an interesting concept where Ray was actually cognizant in as an embryo or not embryo, but in the mother's womb as a fetus. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's I another. Think plot what they twist. were talking about, they're talking about how like normal children have infantile amnesia, but like he's one of those children who just remembers everything yeah. that he experienced, even as a very, very, very young child. <laughs> like, yeah, crazy, so. crazy. Discount Sasuke, you know, as you <laughs> yes. could say. Uh, I'll I'll go next. For me, I I think early early half of season, I really like Norman. Uh, Obviously, because you know he's he's kind of like the leader of the bunch. He's he's one of the smartest. I think he is he's the highest on the grades, if I'm not mistaken. Or um, he's the smartest kid. Yeah, he's the smartest kid. And there's this great scene where they're playing tag, right? And like they they if again, if I was in this house, I would be the first one tagged. I would just like be be huffing and puffing. Um, but there's a scene where like. Um, it's the two of them, Emma and Norman, right? And they're in playing tag, and it's always a lot them the last two, and and Ray if if he plays, and then Norman is like uh, trying to chase down Emma, and then all of a sudden, you know, Norman just trips, 
and he holds his his leg, and then Emma pauses and stops running away, goes up to Norman to check on him, and then Norman tags her and be like, and then says, "Emma, that's you know you're you're so good at tag, but your greatest weakness weakness is is your empathy, like the way that you you empathize and and let down your guard, and you feel for it. it's like okay, that's her character flaw, like her empathy is going to be the end of her." Um, and throughout this this escape, you see this conflict of, you know, Norman uh, representing the leading right part. Ray is the practical like we can't we can't save rents and the other kids like they're they're too young they're not gonna make it out. Uh, and then Emma's like no we have to save everyone. And then Norman autumn like I remember the scene where like again super anime like the wind is blowing and Norman like looks out into the sky and be like, you know, Emma's right. You know, we we have to have hope. We have to like, you know, save all these children. And and Ray's like, "You're an idiot! Like, why would you do that?" And then like, Norman's like, "Cause I believe her," or something like that. And it's just like this this scene. And um, you know, in the early parts, yeah, I like Norman because he's practical. He's balancing out all these views. He's trying to be a leader. But towards the second half, I really gravitate towards Emma because you see that Norman Norman gets you know pulled out of the picture. Again, watch the series. Even if all these spoilers, it's still really good. But Norman gets pulled off, pulled out, um, and they're without Norman for a while. And you think there's no hope. And then Emma pulls out this crazy plan and a compromise that says, "Hey, we can't take all the kids. We're going to come back for them." So it's like the compromise of she still has the empathy, but she also knows the practicality. It's like Norman's leadership gets imbued on her um, in a way, and. Emma has to balance that out and it become like, oh, shoot, there we go. Like Emma's ceiling. So I not only is she smart, is she agile, she has wits, uh, but she also has that empathy that can really, really take it to the next level. And so I'm super excited to see how she she does in the next few seasons and bounces out without Norman. And, and it's just Ray and, and Emma, you know, leading the group. Uh, I'll go next. Uh <laughs> Who else would go next? Uh, Ian? <laughs> yeah, Ian. Ethan. I'm watching Ethan, do you want to go? <laughs> you want to insert your voice? Anyways. But I think, uh, yeah, we talked a, a lot about the, the three main characters, uh, Ray, Norman, and uh, Emma. But I one of the characters that I really gravitated towards, uh, I would speak about Emma, but like I feel like we've talked to her, about her at length already is actually one of my other favorite characters uh my second favorite character in fact is actually like yeah some people might find this surprising but uh uh my other favorite character is uh is don don oh you're gonna say which one is don is it don or don (laughs) don i think d-o-n for not remembering dude it's been a while don almost kills them like several times (laughs) (laughs) he does but uh oh my gosh like i genuinely don d-o-n yes okay don but uh, I really genuinely hated his character for a lot of the show, and it's for the reasons that Rez described, where he puts a lot of things at risk because of like the plans, because he's uh, in the first episode they made it very clear. So basically, there there are three main characters, but there are two other characters that are considered maybe like secondary main characters, which are uh, Dom and Gilda, or Don Don and Gilda. And Don is very made from the very beginning. He he's not as smart as like Norman, Emma, and Ray, and the the show makes it known. And then so like one of the things that he does is like he's so frustrated that he's not at the top of the class that he he challenges Norman to a, a game of tag, which sets off that whole event of like Norman beating everyone, including Emma. And you're like, yeah, like obviously he loses, and. 
I genuinely hated him for a lot of the series because I'm like, okay, like this kid's dumb and he's like, he's, what does he have to contribute to? Like, and he's ruining everybody's plans and stuff like that. But like, there's the scene that I thought was like really kind of powerful, like, uh, where basically, uh, so there are three main characters, uh, discover the secret and well not discover because well emma and norman discover the secret ray has kind of always done the secret but they're all kind of planning their escape and there's a part where uh don and gilda start to get in on the on the secret of the orphanage as well and then there's this big scene where don confronts them and he he has this very huge emotional moment he like grabs Norman and Ray and he punches them in the face and he punches them several times and he grabs mm-hmm. them and he's about to punch her in the face too. Like he, he's so emotionally impacted by the situation. Like he's willing to hit a woman <laughs> in this situation. And he's just like, well, he doesn't, but like he's, he's so emotionally distraught because he has this part where he's just like, was, was I like so dumb that I wasn't even worth telling the situation. Was I, was I so dumb that I wasn't worth, being your sibling like being your family <laughs> like well even more than that it's more like he's not only saying that am i too dumb am i a, a burden to you yep. yeah like, my it, liability. like was i not even worth kind of <laughs> helping out like did you think that i was worthless to even contribute and he has this big emotional part because uh the scene that we talked about that's all on all the tsunami ads where it's like it's dom who is crying at Connie's uh, departure from the orphanage because presumably he had a very strong kind of bond and with uh, his uh, sister Connie and the realization that in that moment that he was like, Oh, like this is going to be great for her. She's going to have a great family. She's going to have a great future. And the realization that she died and there was nothing he could do about it. It crushed him because he felt like, was he so ignorant that he, there was nothing he could do to stop it. Nothing he could do to contribute to it. And that becomes his big motivating, big motivation for the rest of the series. He's just like, I'm not going to let that happen to my other siblings. I'm not going to let that happen to any of my younger siblings. So, yeah. Yep. That's, be, I really love kind of his growth. Yeah, he becomes pivotal to the end, right? He's like actually part of the secret gang that finishes yeah. the escape plan and uh, yep. completes it. So, yeah, I agree. My first reaction, I was like, don't say Don, Matt. Don't say Don. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't like him. He almost kills really them. Like, like him. I really yeah, did. but it's true. But for everything you said, it's like, it's true. Actually, like, I feel like any of us, I feel like we were probably, you know, the Dons in this situation, you know, we're like, yeah, we're not, we may not be the smartest that can pull people out or the helpless. So we just feel frustration, you know, and all of that. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, another, uh, Another favorite scene of mine uh, in Promised Neverland is uh, what you call it. Uh, two two scenes. One is when uh, Norman tries to trap uh, Gilda and Don. Uh, oh, yeah. So speaking of the two, like because they think there's a leak, right? And this is before they realize Ray is the leak, right? So they're like, "Oh, Gilda and Don are are the the leaks." Like, let's figure out one of them is it. So if you watched uh, Game of Thrones, uh, there's like this this uh, kind of uh, tactic where you you tell two lies or two two facts of info two information and to find a leak you you vary the information so if i told you like you know mark i'm actually going to go to um you know my parents house and matt i'm actually going to go to uh amber's parents house and then i find out like you know amber finds out like hey i heard you're going to your parents house i'm like oh 
Matt was the leak. You know, I know Matt's not the one to be trusted because he's the one I told I was going that way. So they have that mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. They have it, Tyrion Lannister. But they have something similar where Norman sets up trap. Like, hey, we're hiding some of the, the, the rope to escape, you know, the Pokemon, Pokemon rope that escapes the cave. Um, and it's uh, hidden <laughs> in like two different places. <laughs> the escape rope, yes, that one. <laughs> I was like, Poke rope was it TM. A very clever tire. Title. <laughs> no, was it? Um, but uh, but yeah. So they tell one information to Gilda and one information to Don and Norman and Emma are, and Ray are like, yeah, like whoever, wh- wherever, like the the sister crone finds, you know, the the information, uh, finds the rope, then that's who the leak was. And then I'm like, oh man. It's Don. No, it's Gilda. No, it has to be Gilda. And I'm like, ah. And then the the plot twist is like, it's really Ray. I'm like, ah. You heard the Nani? And I'm like, <laughs> you're the leak. You're, you're the, the leak. Because I told them this and I told her that. But really, I told you neither of those things. Yeah, exactly. So Ray is sus. <laughs> Ejecting. So yeah, that, that so your talk about Don reminded me of that, and it, and it cleared it out, and I was like, okay, raised it, raised crazy. Um, discount Sasuke. Uh, the second one I, I really liked was actually the the end where, uh, again, spoilers, where like Emma's leg gets broken, like literally uh, yes. broken. I wanted to talk like, about that scene. Such a good scene. Oh, right, you can talk about that scene, but uh, uh, actually, go back, talk about that a little bit. How that, that led up? I mean, yeah, yeah, go for it. Because mine is afterwards. Okay. Well, uh, I absolutely. Oh my gosh, my favorite scene in the entire series. I've told my brother this is there's a scene near the end. So yeah, spoilers. As if everything else wasn't spoilers but yeah. uh there's a there's a scene at the end where basically like they they uh confront uh mother because uh or isabella isabella knows that they well she's known from the beginning because uh one of the things that happens in the first episode is they they see what happened to connie but they leave the bunny behind like oops like oops <laughs> then big oops isabella finds the bunny and she's like I know somebody knows. She has the scariest face, and that's how you end the first episode, too. It's like, I'm gonna kill this. So, eventually, (laughs) Isabella finds out the group of people who who know the secret of the orphanage, which is, yeah, basically, Emma, Norman, everyone, all five of them, and more, I think. I'm not sure. But, yeah. Well, yeah, I I guess you can include uh, Sister Kona into that. At some point, this is gaps filling but at some point uh isabella also gets like an assistant which is sister corona but uh yeah but like there's this there's this scene that i think is so so good where isabella confronts them and then she says nice to meet you like something along those lines it's just like this is the first time any of us are meeting without any lies any sort of like any sort of facade (laughs) And it's yeah. nice to see, like, to meet you for who you really are. <laughs> and I'm uh-huh. just like, oh my gosh, like, that's how you know, like, this whole situation's about to go down. <laughs> like, so sus. So sus. It was, it was so cool because then she says, so, so let's put down all the pretenses. Yeah. Let's just acknowledge that I am the caretaker of, of the kids on this plantation, and you guys are the children who are going to be raised as food. Yep. Oh yeah. And that's how the conversation starts. And then, and then what she ends up doing is what Rens described. She sets this precedent where she she goes because she she's showing that she's the one in control and the one who's in the position of power. She goes and breaks with her bare hand. She breaks 
Emma's leg so that she can't escape. <laughs> and then she's like crying out in pain and she's like screaming or she's and then she's like grabbing and holding her, her daughter in her hands and she's like, Shh, it's going to be okay. Oh it doesn't hurt. You're going to be fine. And like putting that facade again of being the caretaker, being their provider, being their like being their protector. And she's just like, you're going to be here. You're going to be here and safe. Yeah. Away from everything. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, you know, in, in youth ministry, I would give this talk. Again, I don't think it's really what shepherds do, but there's like a, a, a lore that, you know, the shepherd would like break the sheep's leg to, that mm-hmm. are being like very rambunctious yes. and allowed to yes. heal so that the sheep would be more loyal. And I'd be like, oh, and I'm yeah, sure sometime. that was intentional because they're basically sheep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the worst part is I would share that story and be like, yeah, you know, Jesus Christ does that to us. Sometimes there's some really tough moments and it's rough and he breaks our <laughs> legs a little bit so that we can, you know, trust. And now I can't use that anymore because like in the context of Promised Neverland, it's horrible. <laughs> like, I don't want that imagery of... Uh, you know, like kind of this mother gothel, abusive mother that's supposedly loving imagery and attached to Christ. So I can't use that imagery of the, the breaking of the legs. I, I always presented it so like dramatically but beautifully. But I think the difference is that Jesus actually loves us like wholeheartedly yeah. and became the sacrificial cattle for all of us. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers if you didn't read the Bible. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're in Advent right now. I, he hasn't even been born yet. So oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is spoilers, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Good but yeah, stuff. so I know what well, we've talked, man. I know we spent a lot of time talking about Promise Neverland itself, but I think in follow up, I guess one of my favorite scenes is that the last glimpse of hopes where there's literally like, you know, in Dragon Ball Z, there's filler parts where it's like they're charging up the spirit ball f- bomb for like. 10 episodes ball is still uh, correct it's actually just yeah, you're, you're right you're right but uh so there's this part where it's kind of a filler where like emma's leg is broken norman has been shipped out um and there's like parts where it's like what the heck's going on they're just healing or they're just mourning and nothing's going on and you're like like that's it like this is it but you know like you always check the episode count like no there's more episodes that what's gonna happen um and then you find out like during that time you know emma didn't give up like there was already a bunch of plans that are going and don and gilda were like leading the kids and training them and like stepping up and there was like a lot of cool stuff that's like oh here we go and then bam you know another couple of plot twists and you know spoiler alert they they make it across the wall Ooh. oh there's a wall and a cliff. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. But it's really funny just to describe, like, halfway, I don't know, halfway through the series, somewhat partway through the series, they, they make it above the wall, only to find that there's a cliff behind it. Like, mm. they're just like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. Why was there even the fence? Why was there even the gate? There's This gap is so large, there's no need for either of those things. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it could like, have just been raised their whole life like this is a closed area there's nothing <laughs> none of like it was needed way of saying like you think you could escape but no <laughs> yeah just imagine if like you you drive down i5 and you're passing harris ranch and you see all the cows like and then you just see them like a giant concrete wall 
and a giant like moat. Like you, you'd be like, that's a little unnecessary. Like why? Yeah. Going on off of that, um, around the same time we were watching Promise Neverland, there was a was it Dominic's? He he had a video out that kind of. Yeah, YouTuber yeah, Domics. Yeah, YouTuber Domics. Maybe so- that's why I called Don Dom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, he was he he was talking about a similar concept of like people being raised to be flag you, basically. Yeah, like, I could do an explanation yeah. of this. Uh, he he has a I guess it's a podcast. Not really. I don't know. It's like a YouTube series, but it's kind of presented as a podcast. Maybe it's a podcast. Vlog. But it has a. It has a. T- it's called. <laughs> it's called uh, sober conversations <laughs> because they actually they think of the wildest thing to discuss without any alcohol. That's the joke. <laughs> sober but, conversations, like every day. The, uh, the uh, conversation they're having was uh, <laughs> if what do you call it? If you could. Uh, like basically like if you can end your life at an earlier date to but be paid just to be become basically wagyu for other human beings <laughs> would you do it so like the idea is like okay i could end my life at 25 but i'll have like an exuberant amount of money or i could like end my life at like 30 or 40 and have slightly less money and it's just this idea of like so would you want a life that's short and sweet like sweet quotations because it's like oh like the earlier you cut off your life to become wagyu for other people presumably in this world was this the idea that like human flesh is like a commodity and you can actively sell yourself to be like oh like i can be a millionaire for like now until i turn 25 well i'm older than 25 but like yeah like that idea like because like t- being like 25 is like being like the high grade Wagyu and then 30, 40 is like less, lesser grade Wagyu. Hey, hey 30s are the new of, 20s, guys. 30s are the new 20s. Okay, 30s. Okay, 30, I'm sorry, 30, like we just turned 30. <laughs> they're, the, they're the tougher kinds of meat. Uh, yeah, okay, you're just, right. It was this hypothetical, like, would you do it? And yeah, uh, you could you could describe how yeah, it kind so, of relates to Promise Love Line. So in, in both cases, you're dealing with humans being raised for food and would you rather live like pl- go along with the ignorant bliss of enjoying your life on the far uh, on on the plantation being raised with like all the all the food you can eat the love and care of this mom who you know is playing you the entire time but um you you're just going to just roll with it and enjoy your life for the rest of for the rest of its length until it gets cut off by your time for harvesting. At twelve. Yes, at twelve or in the Wagyu world. Well, in twelve, um, in, in the Wagyu world, it's voluntary. Yes. Or you do it voluntarily. Yes. So let's look at the the, eth- the ethics of of what kind of system, like living in this kind of like system. Like, would you voluntarily? Would you rather voluntarily? Would you rather? Yes. He's stealing from Meg. <laughs> Reds, do you hear this? He's stealing yeah. from Meg. <laughs> Copyright. Would Copyright. you rather live on the farm in ignorant bliss, um, knowing that you're going to get shipped out, but might as well just live your live out your life um, in enjoying all the, the the enjoyments and satisfactions you can get, and then just willingly accept getting harvested or 
would you rather try to escape or or not volunteer to join this kind of program like what Emma, Ray, and Norman would do? Mm. I think hearing this, um, basically being given the red pill, the red pill, blue pill <laughs> conversation. Just that, from, the steak. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating the steak. Like, uh, what's yeah. his name? Cipher. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, man, we should do an episode on that. Matrix. Well, Matrix. <laughs> Wasn't there supposed to be a Matrix movie coming out soon? Yeah, but COVID. I know COVID. But... Delayed over to San Francisco. Anyways, getting back on topic. Like, I feel like that's the exact same question, but honestly, I don't know. I've been presented this question. I feel like as, as horrible the truth could be, I would rather know the truth. And I know that's like... You know, it, it will be incredibly uncomfortable. I know it is for many stories so much that, including Matrix. But I feel like knowing the truth is better than being like living in blissful ignorance. Yeah, I agree. But, I agree. And in, in philosophy, there's this, you know, one of the first concepts that you learn about is uh, Plato's cave or yeah, Socrates and Plato's cave, where uh, in, in short, it's like, there's people chained in this cave and they only see shadows of these objects and they never see the real shadows and they never know that there's life out there and that's all they know. And then the question is like, is, is their life good or is it better for that? They know that those shadows are cast by actual objects and is even better for them to escape and be out into the real world, even though the light's blinding and it's painful and it hurts. Uh, you know, what is the hierarchy of getting, you know, Plato and Socrates, you know, say, hey, um, it's better to know truth, even if it hurts. And there's like this hierarchy that the truth is is good. And, you know, I think that's a common theme we have here. It's like, okay, for me, again, same thing with Matt, I would definitely, definitely choose to fight. But, quote, my fight would be pretty, pretty, I would be Phil. I I wouldn't be Norman. I wouldn't be uh, uh, Emma Ray. I would definitely, you know, I'd probably be closer to Don, but like as Phil size. So I couldn't punch anyone. I'd be like just wailing at people's feet and like being upset. I wouldn't have impact. Um, but yeah, I would, I would fight for it. I think your your other would you rather was like, okay, would would you would you do the waggy con- world? Yeah, would I do the <laughs> waggy world? Um, I, man, I I know. Okay. I feel like selfishly, if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't have moral principles, I would totally do like 25 and like sacrifice. Like, uh, like I, after 25, like I was like, man, you know what? This is it. This is the peak. Let's, let's, let's just, if I had all this money leading up to 25, man, life would be great. Life would be crazy. Um, but I know it wouldn't be satisfying. I wouldn't be fulfilled. I would probably end in like, you know, all these people that are millionaires and they get all this money and they like are unhappy. Like, I know that probably would be the case. And plus, too, I think there's a moral quandary with, you know, sacrificing yourself for a present good. I know there's martyrs who sacrifice for the greater good of the faith and this, this you know, greater picture. Um, but I feel like, you know, sacrificing yourself for, you know, self-indulgence doesn't seem like, it, it, again, it's it doesn't seem like a morally good and ultimately satisfying way to live life. It becomes pointless, like... Yeah, I just sold myself literally for money and for enjoyment to do what? Just to enjoy for this world and then what happens afterwards, you know, what legacy am I leaving and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely, definitely would think about it at first, but then realize like, nah, I, I can't do that. Yeah, I, I'm with you on there. I mean, we we, we find this a lot in like, um, just in like Jesus' words, like 
you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So your hope that the mm -hmm. desire for the, the human soul to, to, to like, just go like beyond what, um, just the here and now, like there's gotta be something more than the, the kind of like dirtiness you'll see in like the world, the world, especially in such like a like, uh, the abusive relationship they have between the caretaker and the children. You, 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 you gotta like at least have to like having that kind of hope that there's something else out there would drive you to want to make that choice. And I would want to hold that on in order to, otherwise there wouldn't be any reason to just like live or have being. Yeah, and and kind of to flip flip this on the side. So I know we've been talking primarily from us as like the cattle or potential cattle, but I think again we talk about the system, and you know this brings up another. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the director's name. He did Parasite. He did um, Snow. Uh, what's that? Snowpiercer. Uh, the Okja. What's the, what's oh, the I've seen Okja. I love Okja. Uh, yeah, that's the director. Cool. He directed all three of those. Let me look uh, it up. Director of Okja. Keep stalling. <laughs> Keep From stalling. my mind. Bong Joon-ho. I'm sorry yes, for yes, mispronouncing that. Um, but yeah, so it brings up another idea of like, uh, and it's not humans, but it's this giant, you know, Pat, Matt, you could probably describe it better, but it's just a giant pig, right? This giant pig that it's raised and yeah. this young girl loves it. And then they end up having to sell it or like give it away to be slaughtered. Um, yeah. And it's just this heart-wrenching journey of, like, you get attached to the, to the pig. So um, it just brings up that interesting moral quandary of, like, okay, I know that when it's humans being raised for cattle, that's bad. And But every day we live with actual cattle, you know, what's, what's that line? And then when you bring up a movie like Okja or, like, um, you know, kind of any, like, fall in love with animal movie. It was a free willy. Like free Willy. Yeah. Oh free my Willy. gosh, that's, we're really dating ourselves here. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Um, it's like let's just turn thirty, y'all. I know, dude. I know. Welcome Cheers. to the thirty club, the thirty rock. Yeah, like how do we? How is there a differentiation? Like I remember seeing like, oh man, I know it's a bad example, but who's that angry uh, animal rights group? Uh, FEMA? No, Peter? is it FEMA? PETA. FEMA is for emergency disaster relief, <laughs> yeah. like hurricanes. Oh, yeah. PETA. PETA. Like, I remember seeing a billboard. It's like they have these, like, dogs, and, and it goes up to, like, horses and cattle. And, like, it's like, where do you draw the line with what to slaughter? And it, like, brings up a question, like, wow, like, yeah, we don't slaughter dogs. We, we have an attachment to it. But chickens and cows, like, is that okay? Like, where do we draw the line? And... Um, you know, obviously we draw a line with humans. Like, I hope anyone listening to this is like, yeah, I don't think this world should, should exist. So, um, but yeah, I think it's a good discussion point. Like, how do we differentiate what the line is of it's okay to use for food consumption, which is not. That's why you just go vegan, right? Right. <laughs> I love meat so much. <laughs> I love steak. I'm sorry. We should have had both Meg and Ian on the spectrum. I know that, that <laughs> we would have the spectrum. Yeah. We would. <laughs> Meg, who's pescatarian slash vegetarian, and Ian, who's the opposite. Just meatism.
I want all the meats. He's Ron Swanson. Filipino <laughs> <laughs> Ron Swanson. Yeah, you don't understand me. I don't <laughs> just want a lot of meat. I want all of them. I want all the bacon and eggs you have. <laughs> I want all the Normans and Rays that you have. Oh, my God. <laughs> when you put it that way. A5-quality, because they're I top want, grade. Yeah, okay I want Okja, and I want its side of Okja with that. And yeah. Free Willy. So, yeah, I don't think Mark this has been yeah. established yet in the podcast where we were talking about... Uh, I guess the smartest kids are the highest grade meat because I guess what's valuable about their bodies is their brain. So, like... I guess their their brains are. I get, I don't know if there's any scientific thing about it, but I guess what I'm inferring is that the the human brain gets kind of like it it develops over the year of childhood, and maybe at a certain age it kind of caps out, and then it starts to have less cellular molecules in terms of its size and stuff like that. So yeah, I have personally experienced that. I think it's called alcohol killing my brain cells. <laughs> Twelve is the perfect age because so. it's right before any of the drinking, right? But yeah, one of the established things in the show is that uh, if you are smart, you are you're pushed back because you're a higher grade meat. So like, it, you could you can exist at the orphanage to the age of twelve, which is what Emma, Norman, and Ray have done. Because if you're smart, then you live longer. But if yeah. you are like Connie and not as smart. She was only could, six years old. You can old. be shipped out at six years old and you're like the lower end uh, quality meat. You're like the uh, go to go to a Walmart and get some steak. <laughs> that's, like 99, that's like 99 cent store steak. Dude, you know hey, no hate, no hate on Walmart 99 cents, but yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. No, I, I heard Walmart stepping up their game. I heard they're stepping up their their butchering. Okay. Well, I'm game. just com- comparing it to like a like a what's the highest yeah, grade? Like, is it A5? Yeah, A5, A5. A5. versus ninety nine cents. Yeah, because yep. that stuff is like we're comparing like a masubi from Hawaii and a masubi like at Elena. Convenience store or dude. Yeah, you're right. Even the Seven Eleven masubis in Hawaii are are bomb. Are still bomb. Yes. yes. Uh, but yeah, thanks for the tangent. Um, yeah, Megan, Ian aren't here to defend meat or attack meat, vice versa. But I think I would hear. So, I'm trying to channel. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm, like, no, I'm trying to channel. Uh, like, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, sure. no, please, please, you, please. <laughs> no, you, please. No, no, you, no, no, you hang up. No. Ian, flip a coin for us. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it's like, well, okay. I'm glad that the show isn't done, so we can bring them back on our future season two. Yeah, season two. I'll save it for season two. All right, so let's let's hone in on Emma, Ray, and Norman. How do they handle knowing the truth, given? They're the smartest ones and the the leaders of their group of what thirty eight total orphans. Man, Is that the a lot real of number that you just gave me? Yes. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Because <laughs> in the so you you'll see because what was it in like one of the first scenes? Um, Isabella leads like their their grace before meals, and she says like we're so thankful that all thirty eight of you children get to live in this wonderful house with to share in this abundant food or something to that. I'm probably 
I, I'm probably making it up now. Sound just like her. And then in the <laughs> next se- the next time they say grace, he says all 37 of you. Oh, like you- one is gone. Yes. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> There's so many little hints where, hints where it's like, I know you guys know, so I'm just going to make it a point. <laughs> you know how they say grace in the dub? But I watched it both ways, and I'm also just like, they just say, like, Itadekimasu. I'm just like, so wait, this is a random touch. I apologize. I'm wasting a bunch of time. But I'm also just like, so do Catholic Japanese people, do you do both? Do you say a prayer and then say That's <laughs> Somebody somebody comment on whatever future platform this is on, and let me know that answer. <laughs> Catholic Japanese um, Catholics, please. Please let us know. Yes, and, we, will, we will bring you on the show if you, if you answer, answer yeah. this question. Back to the question. Yeah. So the question is about, okay, how these three characters handle knowing the truth. Yes. How do they handle it? And especially with Emma, how does she handle it knowing that Isabella was once in her shoes and was kind of hinting at her, like, if you go along with this, I could make you a mom too. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that's another good seed. Yeah. Uh if you haven't read this, if you go to our site, urbanpicks.com, Mark actually wrote a really good article around this, and I think that's kind of what, what uh you know is prompting it is this idea of innocence. Um and it's it's such an interesting concept. I think there's a lot of um of li- literature, I mean uh, First one comes example. I did like a paper on a boxcar named Desire by Tennessee Williams, um, and oh my gosh, uh, Blanche is this character, and she goes into this cycle of uh, it's a sad cycle of um, she you know was had this great life, and then she had this traumatic experience, and then she can't let go of it, and she goes through this cycle from being naive and broken, and then like more bad stuff happens to her. Um, and it's uh, it's really sad, and you see the cycle of like, okay, how do how do people ha- handle losing their innocence? Um, and you know, some people get out of this. And I remember our our teacher English professor talked about this cycle. You know, like you start off naive, and the innocence is broken, and then either like you have two choices: you either grow out of it, and you kind of learn from it, and you kind of get past it, or for whatever reason, whether it's your control, out of your control, things are just too much. You end up back into that and you end up into this kind of disillusioned state of that naivety and trying to want to go back to things that were, but it, it can't be the same. Uh, it's kind of like that ignorance is bliss moment. And I think you see that, you know, with these three characters, like um, they they see, hey, this is the truth of the situation. This is how messed up it is. And what do they do now? You know, and you see a little bit with Don, right? Don has that frustration moment where he experiences, he realizes like, yeah, this is not what it's supposed to be. Um, but they ultimately move on and they realize like, yeah, we, we have to do something about it. Like we can't just take this lying down and, and let this happen to us. Um, and they don't pretend, they don't try to cover it up. I think we, we see, an, I can't think of any, but in other series where, you know, characters who experience this kind of thing, like they end up becoming disillusioned or crazy or, or in denial um, but you don't see that with with these characters, and you ultimately root for them because, yeah, they they had their innocence broken. They're just twelve years old when they're experiencing death and you know pretty much oppression, slavery, trafficking, um, and they decide, you know what, 
we're going to rise above it. And even after being hit with so many setbacks, they still, you know, rise to the top and try to overcome. And I think that's, that's what's really, really inspirational. Even if they're just fictional characters, you know, this idea of like, yeah, life throws you a bunch of curveballs. Um, and whether you're smart, you're not, you're a leader, agile, you know, that you have a choice to whether like to keep going and to, to do it. And they end up all like a bunch of them escaping and they're all different levels of, of skills. And they're all able to get up to that point to overcome, you know, that, that break of innocence and, and get through and. So yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see who else dies and doesn't make it through. Just kidding. <laughs> then it becomes our zombie movie episode. Right? Yep. Right. Yep. To kind um, of add to what Renz was talking about, like I feel like uh to talk less about the the actual show and more generally about like theme, I think something very kind of big like uh people of faith can kind of take from the themes of the show is like uh, this is kind of like something that I've heard multiple through multiple talks in through my youth ministry and my young adult ministry and kind of growing up. But I feel like uh, a major theme that I felt I've heard in a lot of like exhortations and homilies and stuff like that is the idea of like this concept of when it comes to the spiritual journey, like what do I do now, now that I know the truth? And I think there's something like really kind of powerful about that, something that we can take from the stories of like, Emma, Norman, and Ray is this, like, there, there are moments that we described earlier where, like, they, they're discouraged, they think that it's hopeless, they think that there's absolutely no way out of the situation. And for a lot of us, that can be what the spiritual journey is like, is the idea that, okay, I know what it takes to be called towards sainthood and towards holiness, but at the same time, like it's very tough to be a Christian in a modern day. It's very hard to kind of escape sin. It's kind of hard to escape things like the things that kind of chain us down to this world and to be to and the things that make us of this world and the things that we need to break away from so that we are called to a, a higher uh kind of holiness and saintliness and a life outside the chains, a life outside this this bubble that we are into closing of this material world and i think there's something really powerful there because uh what we can learn from the characters like emma and norman is this idea of being very vigilant in not giving up and like this idea that even while it may seem hopeless it is still possible and the idea is like making all of those kind of micro decisions, micro strategies, if you will, that things that are going to bring you closer. And the, also the idea of invoking the help of others and your community, your family. Because, uh, I love the idea of, I described it before, just how pivotal the characters of Gilda and Dom were to the operations, because you learn by the end of their escape plan could not have been possible without letting in Dom and Gilda. And I think a lot of the times we as Catholics, we as Christians, we as just human beings, we like to think that the struggles of this world are things that we have to shoulder on our own mm-hmm. yep. or are things that we have to shoulder only with the people who we think are capable. When in reality is that we, we need each other. We need like, like Ian talks about him on so many other podcasts is that we are made for communion with one another. And the only way that we are able to kind of bring, uh, 
our spiritual family, the, the family of the church, our family of human beings, is to invoke the help of our community, of our family, because we as the brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, we need each other as a whole to help support us as a whole to yeah. achieve that kind yeah. of saintlyhood. And yeah. that's yeah, what ultimately helps them escape, because... You see them so apprehensive at the beginning to try to let in people on the truth because they're worried how they're going to react. Like, oh, they're going to think they're just, that it's just a lie. You're just making this up. They'll be in denial or that now that they know the truth, they're going to spill the beans and they're, they're going to get us all killed or even, but as they slowly let in people on the secret, they start to realize they can trust them. The The kids start to make sense like, oh, when we're playing tag in formations, it wasn't just a game. It's actually training us to be able to, to escape out of here. Or even the, the, the moment when Best Boy Phil gets <laughs> let in on the secret. <laughs> I don't think we've established that, but Phil, Phil is this adorable boy who's one of the five-year-olds in the show. <laughs> it's just like so adorable to see him in any he's, scene. He's in That's truth. He's the best boy. Yeah. And yeah. So he he goes. Uh, Emma calls calls him over and then tells him tells him what's what's going down. And he says, "Oh, that makes so much sense. I was wondering why all this stuff happened. Like when Sister Crona was looking at Ray's." Uh, bedside to see what he was hiding there and all this other stuff. Or was it Norman's bed? Anyways, um, he accepts it and is willing to not only like help them escape, uh, like get them to where they need to so that ha- the, the older kids can escape, but he's waiting in anticipation for the day when they can, uh, they'll come back for them. And he has a lot of trust in his 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 older siblings, like they will come back for him. Yeah. That's a great plot twist that Best Boy Phil is actually <laughs> as knowledgeable as everyone else and he's playing the long game. Like that's and that's he's like, only five. And he's only that's five. That's one of the things that I really love about this. I feel like a lot of shows with child main characters like i.e. like Stranger Things or like I don't know another example <laughs> like the a lot of these shows with children kind of like reinforce this idea that children aren't to be underestimated mm, yeah. because they they are smarter than they they let on yeah. which is how how children feel <laughs> like children yeah. feel like they're smarter than they let on but like I, I as a point to kind of like something that we can take from that i think what we can take from that into our own lives even in our adulthood is we should us underestimate people's capacity to change and as well as we shouldn't underestimate people's capacity to accept the truth yeah and that's something we can do when it comes to evangelization and also just kind of like bringing people to like christ and stuff yeah and 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 to roll off of that i think another aspect is the forgiveness that they gave ray right like imagine today on twitter what norman and emma would say to ray is like bro you've been known since you before you were born literally and you didn't tell us, like, cancel. Cancel. You know what I mean? Cancel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Again, I, it's such a cliche now, but it's so so prevalent. Like, um, And you think if they truly canceled Ray and cast him out as, you know, doubtful of his intentions and didn't include them, it wouldn't be successful. Like, they wouldn't be 
successful. And even Ray at the end is like, uh, again, he's willing to burn himself and sacrifice himself, you know, to try to uh, overwhelmingly overcome this adversity because that's the only way he knows how. But, you know, they pull, you know, Emma pulls him out of it. They come with a smart plan. And, you know, without his his knowledge, I'm sure he's going to be key for the rest of the, the series. And, um, yeah, so forgiveness is important. Forgiveness. <laughs> Thanks, Hamilton. Yes, lots of. All right, let's move on to our our villains for this season. Oh yes. So you got Isabel, Isabella, and not Isabel. Isabel, Isabel the dog from <laughs> Isabel the dog. Oh, she's dude. She's complicit to Tom Nook's capitalistic slavery. <laughs> Oh my gosh, she is the mother. To make Animal Crossing references, you, you're like, you just live on the island with all the fruit that you can eat, but really, we're being you're harvested. Just... Oh my gosh. And we're complicit because we get belt. villagers on on the island. As Oh my gosh, Animal Crossing is dark now. It's so good. Animal Crossing is the promised Neverland. Oh my gosh. I can't. Alright. Um. So Isabella and Krona are the villains of the first season, and we find out that they were once orphans in the same situation too. And how how do we get an insight into their character development throughout the first season? And um, yeah, what's what's everyone's reaction to to knowing what they went through in order to get to? Um, Becoming the caretaker of all these children and, or in Krona's case, wanting to become the mom and take down Isabella. Yeah. It, it just added a, a different, a frenemy, you know, like I like that concept of a frenemy or sister Corona. Corona? Let's call her sister Corona from now on. <laughs> 2020. Why not? You guys can't, can't see it on the, on the audio podcast, but like, I, I am literally drinking like while we're doing this podcast a a Corona beer. Oh. <laughs> Not ironically, it's just what I we like to drink in this house. Corona, <laughs> that's so funny. All right, so sister Corona, yeah, I mean it's just a friend of me. So we know for sure early on that mother, the mom Isabella is is an antagonist. She's complicit. She's uh, you know corralling the kids, and she you know knows all these things and tries to outsmart the kids. And so it becomes a, a battle of it's between the two. And then Sister Corona comes in and she becomes this like, okay, she doesn't like Isabella. She doesn't like the kids. But can there be this uneasy alliance between the two against, you know, Isabella? But, you know, does Isabella know? Is she outsmarting Sister Corona? Crone? I'll just call her her actual name. Um, you know, and it's like, it's this fun tension. It's like it introduces a third party. Who we kind of know the intentions, who looks a little bit arrogant, but you ultimately know, like, okay, she's she's not going to cut it. She has some flaws. She's arrogant. She's, you know, kind of putting too much trust in the kids. She's has a little bit of arrogance, but uh, but yeah, I think the, the again the hallmark of any really good kind of story is the character development and villains. And you know, Father Raj says this all the time. Some of his favorite villains are the ones that are relatable. And yes. when when they put in that story with Isabella and Crone. It's like, dang, I want to hate you so much, but you're just as broken um, in this system as anyone else. And, you know, anyone anyone can make that decision. Um, 
but it just highlights too like but anyone can make those decisions but anyone can not make the decision to fall into that system like you know isabella gives gives emma a choice you know she can become a mother as the tradition of being a 12 year old and do all those things and save herself but emma overcomes you know with their true empathy and it's like yeah we because of our backstories yeah its system could bring us down and make us choose make us feel like we have no choice but in the end we do you know we talk about catholicism i wanted to bring in uh saint maximilian kobe who was in the concentration camps he's this priest um who was in the camps during world war ii and he risked having mass in the prisons and i think i forgot how he did it but like he he was able to get like droplets of wine and, and pieces of bread and give mass to the catholic um prisoners in the in the in the concentration camp uh, and he knowingly risked that you know for the people and again it's different because he wasn't hatching an escape plan like emma norman and ray but he was really we talk about focusing on the greater good of what is life after this it's it's our souls it's it's heaven and you know he was willing to sacrifice that for for the greater good and that gave maybe a couple of prisoners hope um in that sacrifice and again we always have choices even in dire situations and it just shows like yeah you can make the choice to to be complicit or you can overcome and it doesn't make it easier but those who do it's it becomes beautiful um i think the the parts that really struck me with them was what was it with with crona she uh we see her want to claw, claw her way to the top and she even openly admits that if i'm going to be stuck in this situation might as well live at the the the, the top of the pecking order here mm-hmm. as the mom yes. so you that she's she's totally focused on her own self-interest yep whereas isabella on the other hand in she has this sick and twisted but genuine love for the kids she really wants them to live happy lives until the moment that she has to go send them off to the demons to get slaughtered but until that moment they're my precious babies. Dude. I'm <laughs> thinking Mother it, Gothel from Tangled. I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what was it? Dur- throughout the series, you'll see her like, uh, like in almost every scene where she's with, in front of like Emma Ray or Norman, she's always like either holding one of the kids in her hand or like cradling the babies. Like almost as like a taunt. Oh, like, a genuine display of her love, but also a taunt like, well, what are you going to do about it? I got one of them still. <laughs> you can't just bust out of here. Mm-hmm. And it, she, she believes that she's still doing like the best thing for them because she thinks that this is the only way that it's going to at least make the suffering somewhat worthwhile for them. Yeah. So, they're her in in many ways they're like polar opposites of each other yes. Isabella and Crona, but they they still have that same kind of core. Like, well, might as well become a mom in this case because otherwise it's either that or food. Yeah. <laughs> Isabella like truly believes she's doing the children a service by giving them the the best life they could have 
from the ages of like zero to 12. <laughs> like, and it's, it's frightening. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. yeah. And I think there's this, uh, and yeah, we don't, we don't, we didn't talk about it, but Isabella also knew someone that tried to escape. Right. Uh, I can't remember yes. his, he had a friend. And so she, she knows how well, you know, it feels like to feel like there's an escape, but she has that hope, hopelessness. So, I mean, maybe reading into it, she probably relates like, I know it's out there. It's not good. And I'm going to break your leg. And because it's again, better that you die here safely than try to go out there and try to experience that. Oh man, that Jesus Christ analogy with the sheep. Maybe I can make it work. Maybe I can still make it work. <laughs> oh man, that that reminds me. We we see a flashback from Isabella's past where she actually does the same thing that Norman does. Climb up to the top of the wall only to realize there's a there's a deep cliff yep. between yep. the wall and outside. And she's cliff. just like, "Oh man, I'm I'm never getting out of this place. And you see the mom of the palace come mm. back like, come down. Come down, my child. In the same way. So it's like you get this flashback. Like you see the cycle of abuse just continuing. Like you, you're trying to escape here. Nope, there's no way out. Might as well become a mom in this place so that you can tell the next one. The same story and it goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> Till the wheel is broken. Yes. We also see just like a contrast to between Emma and and uh, Isabella. Because she's so... She ends up not want... Or what was it? Isabella ends up not be like escaping and just becoming complicit in this. Because she ends up not trying to escape on her own, basically. Whereas Emma's so trusting and willing to like let everyone else... And, in so that they could all work together to escape there. So there's something like powerful there where really it's the communion between the people in the house is really what's driving them to like be able to ultimately escape. Because from birth basically they're they're taught to be in competition to each other with the constant tests and whatnot. So it was kind of like a feat for them to actually work together to be able to escape. I think one of the things that I like, it's like a very kind of generational story. Uh, when you look towards, uh, Isabella's experience, uh, I remember the, or I remember quotations. I looked up <laughs> the <laughs> name of the character of, uh, Isabella is basically like the Emma of her generation and her friend is Leslie. Leslie. Oh, boy. that's it. That's the name. Uh, okay. Leslie is the, the Norman of their generation. And basically they, they try to, uh, they, Isabella has this experience of trying to escape and stuff like that. And eventually uh, Leslie ends up getting shipped out and she loses the closest person to her, like in the orphanage. And unlike Elma and Norman and Ray, she becomes complicit because she sees like the kind of futileness of her actions. And then she kind of, her caretaker is like, I don't think it's revealed in season one, but it's the the grandmother, the mother of the time, but it's basically her higher up now. And then, so like the hierarchy is grandmother, mother, sister, then 
all the orphanage kids. <laughs> but well, demons, I guess, above all of Here's that. Here's the yeah. pecking order. <laughs> but yeah, and then, and then like there's there's this generation where it's like we realize it's she realizes it's futile, so she becomes complicit. She becomes a part. She continues to perpetuate this existence. And then there's this other generation, which is Norman, Ray, and Emma, where they they're trying to break the cycle, which is really kind of interesting. All right. I'm excited. Season two, April. Yes. So I guess, I mean, we, we kind of talked about how these children are coping with traumatic experiences. So I guess l- let's just say, l- let's just go on to this one. Um, how does the first season convey that idea of hope? How can we relate that to the lens of Christ? You see, you see that basically embodied in Emma. Throughout yeah. the entire series, <laughs> like she still she throughout the entire what twelve episode season, she's the one who's a firm believer that yes, we're gonna escape and we're gonna escape with everyone, and ultimately she ends up doing basically that with a prom because she has that promise that she's gonna bring bust out not only everyone in that house but the other six plant. What was it six? There's six total plantations so. with kids on being raised as food, also. So she ends up plantation farms. I think it's farms. Farm yeah, they're, plantation. They're not. Pla- oh, I mean, there might be underground <laughs> children that are growing that we don't know about. <laughs> season two. <laughs> season two. But you know, talk about hope. I think you know. I know some of our listeners may not be Christian, Catholic, um, but you know, for us here, all of our hosts were. We're deeply Catholic and we, we love God. And um, I think that's one thing that, you know, my wife and I say all the time is that part of our Christian identity is this hope, right? That there is something more out there after this world. Um, I remember in high school, like I, I went through an existential crisis, like I wouldn't say crisis, existential angst, where like I was in high school and I just had this like moment where I'm like, man, is this really it? Like, what if God doesn't exist? What if there isn't heaven and everything we happen in this world is it like we, we live and then we die. Like there's no end game. Like the credits just roll whenever you die and there's no accomplishments. There's, there's nothing else, you know, and it, it's just it. And like, whether you did really well in life or whether you didn't do well in life, it's, it's, it's all it is our existence here. And I remember just getting like super sad. Like I was like a senior in high school and I was just like, man, what kind of life would that be? You know, like a devoid of like any kind of hope of anything. And um, I don't remember anything that really pulled me out of it. But I remember my my uh, English teacher, of all people, was like, she said something and she said, you know, I understand you're, you're in min- ca- you know, campus ministry and you are really of the faith. And maybe one thing to think about is if this man um, died on the cross and endured this incredible suffering in this world for something greater than himself. Maybe that's something worth trusting in. And I I don't remember the exact words, but it was something along those lines. It's like, you know, and I sat with it a little bit and it's like, you know, maybe, maybe it is that, that kind of leap of faith, that trust, like that there has to be something more to this world. And, you know, we will never know for sure, but if there is, then it's something to be hopeful for that. Yeah. Despite the pandemic that we're living in, despite all the difficulties that we're experiencing that this isn't it, you know, there has to be something outside of the walls, you know, that there's something past 
there and yeah maybe difficult to overcome and and to get over and there's this temptation to want to give up but there just has to be this hope and i think that you see that in in norman ray and um and uh, emma that they don't know what it's out there i mean they, there's like hints of minerva right you know the morse code that they find in the library they don't know what's out there but for some reason they have this hope that there's something better out there and they don't know what it is and that's what drives them and i feel like for us in the christian faith we know that you know it's it's christ it's heaven um and that's what drives us and you know we have to have hope in that uh because otherwise we are just kind of all cattle in this world you know waiting for our, our expiration and that can be really really sad but yeah I, that's what kind of i draw into that hope ethan you can cut this part out unless you want to leave this silence and then you put in like this meditative music <laughs> and, like, put in the scene just put in some like uh, acoustic uh, worship it's like a dun dun you know whatever chords sound like <laughs> yes whatever chords or insert chords here from an actual guitar no I mean I mean just go, going back to it it's like well stealing from the last episode one who hopes lives differently mm, which yep. is and I remember that one from Pope Benedict who probably got it from someone else or maybe he actually wrote it. Who knows? But quoting someone who quoted who someone quoted. Um, <laughs> Insta- which was on an Instagram post. <laughs> yes. With a cool hashtag. Um, being able to like have that hope ends up driving you to do crazy stuff. It's just like um that's what was able to like drive emma to be able to escape with people and to be able to like convince norman that we got to trust them even to the to be able to like it ends up even breaking through through ray in the end convincing him not to take his own life by lighting himself on fire with gasoline that this is what there's got to be something out there and they recognize the risks because she even goes and tells the kids that we're going to try to escape, but there could be demons out there. They could get killed. They don't even know where they're going to be because it's, as far as I know, there's just force and whatever out there. And they're leaving in like the middle of winter. Or ish. Yeah. It's getting to winter time there. So it's getting cold. So, they could starve. It's, it's like the, like the, you know, the, the story of like the Israelites going out in the promised land and they're, they escape and then they're, they're probably going to end up complaining. It's like, we had it better on the plantation, even though we we're going to eat, get eaten for food. The same way like the Israelites were like grumbling, like, oh, we could have been, at least we were slaves, but at least we were well, well fed. Now they're in the desert waiting to die. So it's like, but you got the the drive to keep pushing, to be able to find that that there is going to be something out there, that you're gonna find it, and especially with that the, the that book they said, there's a promise out there. Mm, the promise. The, the land. Yes. <laughs> Tie in. Tm. Tm. The end. Yes. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> yes. That was good. That was good. good. I'm glad we finally did this one. I'm glad we we did Promise Neverland after a year of talking about it. Yes. And it's not as depressing as I thought it would be. I'm glad we ended on a good note. Yes. Yeah. And then we wait for season two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually someone who uh, is the probably the only person here who's actually been reading the manga, so I know it's to go. Dude, I've been, a, I've been avoid. They finished the the manga is uh, is the, over now, right? They completed yeah, it. Yeah, I believe so. Or yeah, I don't know, actually. But yeah, I think it's over. But yeah, I haven't read. I haven't read to completion, so I only know what the next arc is. So I'm super excited to watch that, but you know, there's got to be some battles. There's got to be some some intense battles. We're gonna forget. We're gonna fight. We're gonna see twelve year olds fight. Sasuke is gonna start fighting now. I know. There's a crossover. <laughs> He's gonna learn, He's gonna learn the, how to use the Sharingan. Sharingan's gonna awaken. <laughs> Hot take. Hot take. And he's going to. He's, he's gonna betray the hidden leaf. Oh my god! Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. That's now we're really in the neck of the woods, yes. finding finding that cliff. <laughs> and that yeah. Let us know if you you like this episode. If we get enough of a response, or maybe not, we'll we'll probably do season two. And yeah, let us know if you season. like Promise Neverland, and if you if you've never seen it but ended up watching it because of this podcast, and then and then listen to this episode and then came back and then yeah like tell us like what you thought of it as someone who was plugged to watch it by us yeah <laughs> i'm really curious to what you might think of the show let us yes. know also other shout outs is uh if you heard in the last episode my announcement our patreon is up um the current <laughs> we had a good man we, we should have recorded it we were coming up with names and we had different ideas but i i'm digging the puns that we have so so sign up to be a suburbanite uh, is our first level just come on board uh support us you know help pay for ethan's boba is what we we talked about um check it out uh later we're gonna start we're gonna do if you don't want to support us in general but you want to support certain people we're gonna have tiers where you can like for example if you want to buy ian chicharrones and then in response not only are you supporting us but he'll record your voicemail, you know, for once a year and, uh, you know, other things. So check that out. We're going to, we're, we're still completing everyone's, uh, you can also sections. get, uh, exclusive photos of Hamachi the dog. Yes. Yeah, you know that dog photo. you kept hearing in the last episode? Yes. It's that dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, I was like, Meg, is there any way to just cut? Oh my gosh. I was like, dude, Ethan's probably like shaking his head. Like why? Why? You know uh, how you're coming up with goodies for all of our previous guests? I hope Hamachi's getting a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I know you need like an edible pin. But yeah, yeah, check it out. We'll uh also, you know, if you if you haven't noticed, if you're still with us, uh and you watch Promise Neverland and you're part of this group, whatever, and uh but if you have um have Urban Picks as your top five podcasts on Spotify, I think there's gonna be an announcement where if you post a picture of it and tag us, then you can uh you're gonna get like a free pin or something, like some free stickers. So uh for our, our dedicated listeners, um and all that kind of stuff. But if you were a guest on our podcast, I reached out to you. And we're going to send you a pin anyways. If you want two pins. Or if we haven't two. yet, let us know. Yeah. yeah. If you want to be on the next A Promise Neverland episode so you can get that pin, hit yeah. us up. <laughs> hit us up. Write an article for us. Cool, cool. All right. Anything else, Mark? I, I, I think that's it. So until next time, I'm Mark. I'm Matt. I'm Rince. 
and we're signing off. And boy, am I hungry for some steak, guys. <laughs> A5 uh, Wagyu. I'm ready for some Wagyu, for some Okja bacon. Okja. <laughs> uh, my sister would be so mad. All right, later. Take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Later. Truly Universal is a production of Urban Picks, all things to all. Theme song by Demi Guevara. Audio production by Ethan Ko. An outro song by Chris Kabilis. You can find all of our content on our website, www.urbanpicks.com slash trulyuniversal. Please like and subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to contact us, send us an email at trulyuniversal at urbanpicks.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.